In the previous lesson, we discussed the basic principle of simcha, of joy. How a person should always be happy, no matter what happens, because even when something unpleasant takes place, this is by Hashgacha Pratis, it's by divine providence. It doesn't happen by itself. It didn't happen to the person because he's just being a victim of nature. It happened because God intended for this to happen. And if God intended for this to happen, then it definitely has a purpose. And being that God is good, the purpose is definitely good and something positive. And that's why a person should always be besimcha. Even though he doesn't see that it's good, this means that the good is a hidden good. It's a disguised good. But this too is good. Gamzu the question is, this is all fine and good when you're dealing with something physical. Something unpleasant happens to a person, and you say that in essence it's good, but it's disguised good. We don't really see that it's good. The question is, however, what about something that happens to a person which is not physically negative, but spiritually negative? In other words, something which stands in the way of a person observing a mitzvah, something which stops a person's spiritual growth, and in that way it's negative, and in that way it's painful and unpleasant. In that case, can you say that this is really good? How can you say that this is good if it's directly against godliness, against Torah and mitzvah? How can you say that this has God's will in it? and there's godliness in it, and it's just good in disguise. It's definitely against goodness because it's against Torah, and it's stopping the person from advancing in his spiritual growth. And the answer to this is, once again, being that everything that happens in the world happens only because God caused it to happen. Nothing happens independently. Nature has absolutely no independent power. So therefore, there has to be godly energy even in this negative experience, which is a spiritual negative experience. Otherwise, it couldn't exist. And therefore, from this we understand that even uh, an experience which seems to be spiritually negative also has in it godliness and has in it disguised good. How can we understand this? explanation to this is the basic principle in Torah when something happens to a person which seems to be interfering with its spiritual growth and stopping the person from doing something positive this is called a nisoyim, a test in other words God is testing the person to see how committed he is how loyal and dedicated he is to Torah and mitzvah and the basis of this is a verse in the Torah, in Deuteronomy, where it says, Ki Hashem Eschem. God tests you. And therefore, when something like this happens, God is behind it. He is responsible for it happening. And the purpose is to test the person. What is the good here? So let's understand what is the purpose of this test. The way it appears to be on the surface, is that the purpose is 
God wants to see how loyal and how committed the individual is. But this doesn't seem to be sufficient, a sufficient explanation. Because when you're dealing with humans, a human being does not know what's going on in another person's heart, what's going on in his mind. Therefore, if he wants to know how committed he is, he has no choice. The only way is to make an experiment. He has to set up certain circumstances, and then he can see whether that person is really, truly committed. One individual wants to know whether the other has true love. He has to set up certain circumstances, and this is a test to see how will they act in these circumstances. He has no other choice, no other way of verifying what's going on in their heart and in their mind. But when we're dealing with Hashem, which is one of the basic principles of belief, is that God knows what's going on in every person's mind, what's going on in every person's heart, and that's how ju God judges us. So what does he need the test for? What is the purpose of this test? Before he makes the experiment, he could look into our hearts, look into our mind, and he could measure and know how committed we are. And he knows in advance whether we'll be able to pass the test or we won't be able to pass the test. What is the purpose of this test? There are some commentaries that explain that the purpose of the test is not for God to know, not for God to verify, but the purpose of the test for the person to know where he's at. Sometimes a person might think that they're really committed and they're not. Sometimes a person might think they're not committed and they really are. So God puts the person to this test. He puts the person in certain circumstances and the person observes how he handles those circumstances and from that he can verify where he himself is at, whether he's truly committed or not. So the purpose of the test is for the person to know, not for Hashem to know. In Chassidus there's a deeper explanation as to the purpose of this test. And when we look at it from this angle we can see the godliness that's in this negative experience and how it's really hidden good. How can this be explained? In Chassidus it explains that the purpose of the test is to promote the individual. That when God wants to bring this individual to a higher spiritual level, He gives them a test. And through this test, that's the only way it is possible for this person to reach and to achieve this highest spiritual level. Why is this? We see that a person has two dimensions within him. One is a revealed dimension and one is a hidden dimension. Revealed strength and hidden strengths. And we see this on every level. We see this on a physical level. There's revealed and hidden strengths. We see this on an emotional level. There's revealed and hidden strengths. And also on an intellectual level, there's revealed and hidden strengths. On a physical level, there's a certain amount that a person could lift in ordinary circumstances. Some people could lift up to 20 pounds, some people 25 pounds, some people could lift 50 pounds. 
But that would be in ordinary circumstances. Then there are situations where because it's an emergency, there's a fire burning, or some other emergency where a person will jump distances, bend bars, lift weights, that it would be impossible for him to do this in ordinary circumstances. I recall once a person was fixing his car. This was during the summer. And his little daughter was sitting near the car, one foot underneath the car, while he was had the car lifted on a jack. And the jack snapped. The car fell on her foot. With one hand, he lifted the car. With the other hand, he gently pulled her out, rushed her to the hospital. She needed a cast. Later, when he calmed down, he was quite puzzled. How was he able to lift the car? And he tried to lift that car with two hands, and he was not able to lift it as high as he was able to do it then with one hand, which we know is what we call adrenaline, which means that in these emergency circumstances, there's no strength there. So the question is, this physical strength, this ability to lift something so heavy, that created during the time of the emergency, or was it there all the time? And the answer is, of course, it was there all the time. But it's concealed. It doesn't surface in ordinary circumstances. But because here is something very threatening, very challenging, what it does is it forces out that hidden strength that it should come up to the surface. In other words, this hidden strength will not surface unless it's challenged, unless it's threatened. And we see the same thing on an emotional level. A mother, for example, has tremendous love for her child. But if God forbid that child would be kidnapped, besides the fact that the mother would do everything within her power to find the child and get her child back, let's for a moment think about the love that she's experiencing for her child. There's no doubt that that feeling of love that she's experiencing for the child during this period is something which she does not experience in ordinary circumstances. Does this mean that because the child was kidnapped, she suddenly has, and there is a creation of new love for the child? Of course not. That love is the love the mother has all the time. But in ordinary circumstances, that deep love doesn't surface. Because her relationship with the child is being threatened now and being challenged, this forces a deeper level of love, this deeper and concealed dimension of love to surface, which is again the same pattern. In fact, in ordinary circumstances, no matter how much she would try and huff and puff, that deeper dimension of love just wouldn't come up to the surface. And we find the same thing on an intellectual level. That when a person studies, he's able to understand according to his capacity. But when a person is challenged, the mind is being challenged, that forces the brain to come out with a deeper depth. That a deeper dimension of depth within the brain surfaces when it's being challenged. As the Gemara says, very famous statement, where well, one of the rabbis said, Harbe kibalti which means I received a lot from my teachers. 
but I received even more than that from my colleagues. I gained more from my colleagues than I gained from my teachers. But from my students, I gained more than anyone else. Which means the students, because they used to challenge the teacher with questions, this forced the teacher not just to answer the student's question, but it forced a deeper depth, a deeper dimension of depth of his brain to function, to be active. And he was able to understand with more depth this same concept which he knew before. Which means that his mind, the deeper dimension of depth of the brain, did not surface in ordinary circumstances. And only when he was challenged does this surface. So we see this same pattern. That is a deeper dimension, which we can call the concealed dimension, and there's the revealed dimension. In term, in Hasidic terminology, it's called Kreches HaGluyim, revealed abilities, revealed powers, and Kreches HaNe'elamim, which means hidden powers, hidden abilities. And in ordinary circumstances, what surfaces is the revealed, the superficial, the shallow dimension of the person. And the only thing that will get that deeper dimension to surface is when he's being challenged and being threatened. And this is the purpose of an assignment, the purpose of a test. That when a person serves God in ordinary circumstances, he develops a love for Hashem and he's committed to Hashem, but the love that he develops in ordinary circumstances would be, relatively speaking, a shallow level of love. The Jew contains within himself and possesses a much deeper love. But that deeper love doesn't come up in ordinary circumstances. It just doesn't surface. When the person is being threatened, being challenged, his commitment, his love for Hashem is being threatened, that forces the deeper dimension of love to surface. So that means that when a person has a test, there's something happening which is stopping him from studying Torah something which is happening which is stopping him from doing mitzvahs. What does it accomplish? This forces a deeper dimension of love and commitment to surface under those circumstances. And in fact, the word nisoyon in Hebrew also comes from the term nes ha'alehaharim, which means something very high. In other words, the purpose of the test is to lift the person very high. And this explains an incredible statement that we find in the Gemara, in the Talmud. The Gemara says that the Mokim Shabali Chuve Omdim ain't Tzadikim Gemurim Yecholim Lamocham. In the place that a Baal Chuve stands, the person who returned to Judaism stands, a perfect and complete Tzadik is not capable of standing in his place. That Baal Chuve stands higher than the Tzadik. And the question is why? Here's a person who never sinned in his life, a person who has a clean record, lived a very pure life, and all he's been doing throughout his lifetime is just going from level to level, from good to better. Here's a person who, true, he's doing everything good now, and he overcame his evil inclination, but he had a past which was negative. He had a past which was full of sin. So it's enough to say that God is erasing it. It's considered as if it doesn't exist. But how could you say that this person stands higher than the tzaddik to the extent that the tzaddik 
can't even be worthy of standing in the same place as the Bautshuva? And the answer is, because being that the Tzaddik never had these challenges that the Bautshuva had, in other words, he's always been serving Hashem, he was never distant from Hashem. So therefore his love for Hashem could be very great, but relatively limited. But a person who was torn away from God, and was very distant from God, and now he wants to overcome that threat, that challenge, and become close to God, the love for Hashem that he will experience will be infinitely greater than the love that a tzaddik could experience. Because only that threat and only that challenge has the ability to activate the deeper dimension of love that this Jew possesses. And as we see, basically, in, in many situations, that when a person goes through a negative experience, it makes him appreciate the positive much more. In fact, it's impossible to have that same sense of appreciation without going through the negative experience. If a person, God forbid, lost his eyesight for two or three years, and then regains it, even though the other people have been seeing all their life and they appreciate it and they understand how precious it is, there's no way they're going to have the same feeling of appreciation as this person who was blinded for two or three years. A person who had children in ordinary circumstances appreciates his children, loves his children, but to a certain degree. Somebody who, God forbid, didn't have children for many, many years, and then after being married for so many years, finally was blessed with a child, his appreciation for that child is something which in ordinary circumstances can be compared because he went through that negative experience. So this is the same with the Baal His love for Hashem and his commitment to godliness, his appreciation of Torah and mitzvahs is much deeper than a person who didn't go through the negative experience. In fact, this explains another thing which we find in the Talmud. The Gemara says, A person who says, I will sin, and later I will do tshuva, I'll repent later. If he does that, then God says, I won't give the opportunity to do tshuva. In other words, Hashem says, I'll do everything not to let you do tshuva, not to let you repent. Of course, this doesn't mean that if a person actually succeeds in doing tshuva, that it won't be accepted. That'll be accepted because nothing can stand in the way of repentance. But Hashem is saying that all sorts of blocks will be set up not to let the person get to accomplishing and doing this tshuva, this repentance. So what does this mean? Why would a person say, let me sin and then I'll repent? Literally, this means a person who says, I want the best of both worlds. I want to have my cake and eat it. How can I do that? First I'll sin. I'll have the great pleasures of this physical world. I'll enjoy myself. What am I worried about? God? About the, uh, the world to come? About my future reward or punishment? So I'll do tshuva. I'll repent. So I'll have both things. In that case, the Gemara says, don't be so smart because if you say that, eventually you will not get to the point that you'll be able to do tshuva. God won't allow you to do tshuva. There's a deeper meaning to this. The deeper explanation is it's not talking about a person who is a low life and wants to do the sin and then 
to repent in order to receive a reward as well. We're talking about a person who's a very spiritual person. In fact, a person who's a tzaddik. And this person is envious of the Baal He says that I cannot develop that deeper dimension of my love for Hashem because I never had that negative experience that about Shuvah had. And therefore he suggests that perhaps he'll do a sin, he'll commit a sin, and the purpose of that is not because he wants to violate the Torah, but by doing the sin and later repenting, that will give him the opportunity to develop that deeper level of depth of his neshama, a deeper level of love for God. It's like a person would say, I'll put myself in the circumstances where my life will be threatened, and that's when this adrenaline will come. I'll be able to jump distances. I'll be able to bend bars that I can't do in ordinary circumstances. So even though his intention is good, and he's doing it because he's envious and wants to develop a higher level of love for Hashem, nevertheless the Torah says, God forbid to do something like that. A Jew should only want to do what's right and stay away from anything negative. Only if it's something which already happened, for whatever reason may be, I find myself in a situation where I look back and I see that I did commit a sin, then by doing tshuva I can reach and develop a higher level of love for Hashem. So this is the purpose of an Nisoyan, of a test. Its purpose is to promote and develop a deeper dimension of love for Hashem. And therefore, even though on the surface it looks like it's something negative, it's actually good and godliness in disguise. It's a technique of, through which I can develop a deeper love for Hashem. And the fact that when something negative happens, something negative spiritually happens, it breaks the person, the person becomes brokenhearted and destroyed, that's because he's misinterpreting it. That's because he's not uh, realizing what its real purpose is. It's like you would tell a person to do exercise. If a person doesn't understand the purpose of exercise, he just sees it as something which is burdening and something which is destroying him. He has to work so hard, lift such heavy things. But if he would understand that the purpose of this exercise is this develops your muscle, this makes you stronger. In fact, there's no way that the muscle can be developed without doing this exercise. Then he doesn't see it as a burden doesn't see it as something negative, he sees it as something positive, and not only that it doesn't weaken him, it makes him a stronger person. The person has the opportunity to walk up a staircase, and right next to it, you have an escalator. There'll be a sign saying, if you want to have a healthy heart, walk up the staircase. The escalator is easier, the escalator is quicker, and the staircase means a harder job. But by doing this, this develops a healthy heart. In fact, you cannot develop a healthy heart without this kind of exercise. A child comes home from school and tells his mother, I don't want to do my homework. Please do it for me. If the mother would be nice and kind and very pleasant to the child and do the homework for the child, it'll be much easier. He'll get the answers much quicker. But that child will grow up handicapped. His brain will not be developed. And only because the brain will be challenged, because the mother will not give him the answers, and he has to sit down and work it out on his own, only that will develop a more deeper strength within that brain. Otherwise, the brain will just be functioning on a very shallow, superficial level. So this is the purpose of an assignment, to 
to make a person stronger and more connected to Hashem and develop a deeper sense of love and appreciation for Hashem and Torah and Mitzvah. This is also the answer to the question which is discussed in so many places Why did the soul come down to this world? We know that the body of a human being is created by the parents but the soul existed before the person was born and the soul was there in the spiritual realm when a person is born that's not when the soul is created all that happens is the soul descends from the spiritual realm, realm and is invested in this body but the soul was there all the time and when the person passes away the soul leaves the body and goes back to the spiritual realm and the question is asked what is the purpose of this descent the soul finds itself in a spiritual realm it's near God the soul sees godliness hears only godliness experiences only godly experiences it's a spiritual realm there's nothing physical there there's no evil there there's nothing negative there so for what purpose does the neshama does this soul descend to this physical world which has everything just the opposite things that are against God things that conceal godliness and the answer is you read it it's a descent which brings the soul to a higher spiritual level in other words there's certain strength certain ability a certain level of love that the soul has which doesn't surface even up there in the spiritual realm why doesn't it surface because there's no challenge because it's not being threatened by the soul coming down to this physical world and its love for God is being threatened by all the temptations of the physical world with the physical pleasures everything is being attracted to because it's being threatened that is instrumental in bringing out a deeper dimension of love that's hidden and concealed in the neshama and did not surface before it came down so the purpose of the soul descending is to develop a deeper level of love. So once again we see the same thing that even something which is spiritually negative, something which seems to be in contradiction to the observance of Torah and mitzvahs, nevertheless, if one realizes that everything that happens comes from God, is by divine providence, then he realizes that everything that happens is happening because God wanted it to happen and it has a purpose and the purpose is good or in different terms everything that happens has godly energy in it otherwise it could not exist so he says to himself if that's the case this negative spiritual experience also has godly energy in it and also has a godly purpose which is positive and therefore it comes to the realization that this thing must be a test this is only a method, only a technique which helps me reach a higher spiritual level because there's actually good in it but it's disguised. 